0: If you're joining us for the first time this morning or for the first time in a long time, we've been going through a series called Margin, You can see right there, and we started the series by talking about building time margin into our lives, and then last week we looked at building some financial margin into our lives, and the whole idea has been that we would put God first in these areas of our lives and that we would trust Him with the remainder of our time and with the remainder of our money. And this morning, we're going to be talking about probably an area of margin that most of us don't think about when we think about margin, and that's going to be moral margin moral margin. And I want to start by asking us a question, and I'll tell you the question, but then I want to try to help describe what I'm talking about. And the question is this, um, how many of you know someone whose life has been affected by sexual sin? And let me, let me describe what I mean by that. How many of you know someone uh, whose life has been wrecked because of an addiction to pornography or because uh, they they got in trouble. Maybe they looked at something at work and it cost them their job. Or how many of you know someone who uh, went out and had perhaps a one-night stand and after that they were dealing with the... Uh, with an unexpected pregnancy, and now they're faced with the decision, maybe they panicked and, and got an abortion, or they, they had to face the decision, you know, do I marry this guy that I don't even know, or do I raise the child as a single parent, um, what, what do I do here? Um, how many of you know someone who has has been affected by, uh, maybe they were promiscuous for much of their life before they got married and contracted a sexually transmitted disease or perhaps even they carried some baggage over into their marriage and now they find themselves arguing with their spouse because there's this constant comparison with all the other partners that they had before they got married or maybe even someone whose life has been ruined. Uh, they lost relationship with their children. They, they lost... Uh, a relationship with their spouse because of an extramarital affair. How many of you would raise your hands and say, "I know someone," or "or, or I know of a life that has been affected by sexual uh, sexual sin"? All right, that, that's almost every hand in the room. Almost every single person in this room knows someone uh, that has been affected by this. And and here's what's what's so amazing to me is that almost every single one of us knows someone who has been affected. By sexual sin, yet I don't know a single person who sits down and writes their New Year's resolutions and says, you know what, part of my five-year plan, I want to fall into sexual temptation. You know, if I could just get addicted to pornography and like have those images ruin my mindset and, and ruin me, then that would be great. Or, you know, I'm going to make it my goal to go out and lose the respect of my children and of my friends and of my spouse, and I'm going to have an affair. Like, I don't, I don't know anybody who sets out to do that. Nobody does. Yet so many people find themselves stuck in this trap. They find themselves stuck in this lifestyle, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's because we have or we lack moral margin. We have no moral margin. Let me give us a definition of moral margin. Moral margin is this, putting distance between you and temptation putting distance between you and temptation, that you would say, all right, I'm going to put some space between where the line actually is in myself. I'm not going to get right up to that line and walk the ledge. I'm going to put some space between myself and temptation. And I want us to start by looking at James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you can open up there. It says this, It says this, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Listen to this. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and what? What does it say? When he is drawn away and enticed by who? By his own evil desires. By his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, Gives birth to death. Now, this word "entice" that's used here—if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. its it's actually a fishing term. It's a term that's used to talk about luring an animal or a fish into a trap. It's the idea. How many? We have any fishermen out there? Right? Any fishermen? Right? What do you do? You cast the lure, and you work that lure. You make it look like something good like it's going to be something good to eat and you slowly work it in work it in and the fish starts to nibble on it he gets a little nibble of it and he says all right this this seems all right and then all of a sudden he strikes and he hits it and you set that hook and he's hooked it's a fishing term it means to hook and our our enemy is out there and he is trying to hook us into temptation he's trying to hook us into temptation but but I love what it says it says by our own evil desires um, it's a choice that we make to either follow God or to follow our own evil desires. And every what we've got to realize is that every single one of us has a sin nature. Even those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, man, we face one of the biggest uh, battles going on within, within ourselves every single day because we, we have our sin nature, but we also have the Spirit of God, a new life living inside of us, and there's a constant battle. And the choice that we have to make is which, which voice will we listen to? Will we obey our own natural voice or will we obey the voice of God? And and Satan is out there. He is trying to lure you, entice you, bait you into sexual temptation. And before long, you get dragged into it. You get enticed into it. And let me tell you, as many people as I've counseled through different situations, the one thing, you know the one thing that I always hear? I never thought it would happen to me. I never thought it would happen to me. I never thought I would be the one that this would happen to. I thought I knew where the line was. And, and, and here's the crazy thing. When I was a youth pastor, I would get one question all the time from teenagers and from young adults that I worked with. Who knows what that question is when it comes to sexual temptation? How far is too far? Someone over here said, it. how far is too far? How how?" Like, where's the line? Where can I get up to? Like, if this is a ledge, I want to get right here, uh, and, and I want to be right there. I want to be right on the ledge. And to me, this is crazy. They, they want to know, how close can I get to something that will actually hurt me without actually getting hurt? And it blows my mind, because we don't do this in any other area of our life. I don't know many people who put three bullets in a revolver, spin the cylinder, close it up, and start pulling the trigger, and wonder how many times I can pull the trigger before I get hurt, right? I don't know, uh, there's crazy people out there on TV that do this, but I don't know anybody personally who goes over to an alligator and says, I wonder how far I can get my head in this alligator's mouth before it slams shut on my head. All right, we we live in central Texas. There's quite a few rattlesnakes around here. Um, When I see one, I'm either getting my shotgun or the shovel, um, depending on how good I feel that day, how brave I am. Uh, but I don't know many people that walk over and say, I wonder how close I can get to this rattlesnake before it bites me. Like we just don't do that in of, any other area of our life. But some for some reason, when it comes to sexual temptation and sexual sin, we want to know how close we can get without actually getting hurt. And Paul kind of talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse eighteen. Would you guys read that first word for me, really loud? What is that first word? Run. Does it say saunter, meander, mosey? No. What's it say? It says run. Some translations may say flee. It says run from sexual immorality. Run away. Run away. It means to flee, to shun, to escape, to distance yourself. It doesn't say flee from. Uh, it doesn't say flee from overeating. It doesn't say flee from gossips. It says flee from sexual immorality. Why? The wise person puts distance, significant distance between themselves and sexual temptation. Why sexual temptation? Why does Paul zero in on that one thing? Because sexual sin is so different. Than any other sin that we face. And he's going to go on and tell us this. And I know in our minds we're thinking, well, isn't all sin the same? Doesn't it all weigh the same? Um, you know what? In, in the sense that it separates us from God, yes, sexual sin is, is just like any other sin, that it separates us from God. But it is not the same. It is not the same. The cost is much, much different. Right? You can tell a little white lie and, and you might get away with it and it won't cost you anything. But if you speed and you get caught, uh, right, you've broken the law, you've sinned, uh, you may have to spend some time with Judge Gravel, and it may cost you a little bit of money. If you gossip, it may cost you some friends. But sexual sin is different. Sexual sin is different. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, "Every Every sin a person commits is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. All sin separates us from God, but not all sin costs us the same thing. There are much, much different practical and real consequences for sexual sin than other sins. Uh, if you sin sexually, it can cost you your job. It can cost you your marriage. It can cost you relationship with your children. It could even cost you your life, your self-esteem, or, or your re- reputation. One bad decision, one bad decision sexually can cost you for the rest of your life. It can cost you for the rest of your life. Look at what he says going on in verse nineteen. He says, "Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? That means you are a dwelling place of God. That God's Spirit lives inside of you." It says, "You are a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price." Therefore, glorify God with your body. And I think a lot of people here today, many of you may be thinking, well, isn't it my body? Can't I do what I want with my body? And the answer is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, the answer is absolutely not. Your body is no longer your own. It does not belong to you. It is a house. It is a dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You are not free to do with it what you want. The Bible says that you are to honor God with your body. But the problem is that our culture is trying to tempt us in every single way, in all kinds of way, into sexual immorality, in ways that, that the world around us says, well, that's not even wrong, is it? Like, we're not actually crossing the line, so it, it can't really be wrong. Uh, why do, what's the big deal? Why do I need to build margin? Isn't, isn't, a lot of guys would say, hey, I'm a guy. Isn't that the goal? Like, don't, don't I need a little bunga bunga from now and then like to survive? Like, I've got to have it. Everybody tells me if I don't have it, my head will explode. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? This sin is different. This sin is different because it it causes pain. It causes pain. It causes emotional pain. It sticks with you. It's more than just physical. It is a deeply, deeply spiritual experience in a deeply, deeply spiritual sin that we commit. Ephesians five three says this. Ephesians 5.3 says, But sexual immorality in any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for the saints. Some translations, the NIV, I loved it when I learned it uh, as a kid. It says, There should not even be a hint of immorality among you. There should not even be a hint. It shouldn't be even named among you. As believers, Paul says, look, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there should not even be a, a little bit. Even a little bit is too much. You're to be different. You are a house, a, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and your life should be different. And that word, sexual immorality, that he uses there is, is porneia. We get our word for pornography from this, from this term, and it means anything outside of a biblical marriage relationship that is one man and one woman united in covenant relationship before God, anything outside of that that causes arousal. Anything outside of the marriage relationship that causes arousal is sexual immorality. And it says we're to flee that. It shouldn't even be named among us. It, not even a hint. Now, let me ask you, uh, what's the standard for a hint? If someone, if someone dresses maybe a little bit provocatively, and, and I, I realize I'm probably talking more to the ladies here than to the men. I don't know many men that, that dress provocatively. I don't know, maybe the tank tops at the gym, I don't know. But uh, ladies, if you're dressing a little bit provocatively so that people will look at you and draw attention to your body, do you think that that's a hint do, do you think that when you go to the, the mailbox and you pull out that Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition and you start flipping through it, or you walk up to the, the checkout aisle at the grocery store and you see the Cosmo and it says, five ways to please your boyfriend in bed, and you start flipping through it, do you think that's a hint of immorality? Or when you start to get on your computer late at night and you let your, your search start to wander to places that perhaps it shouldn't go, do you think that that is a hint Of immorality in God's eyes. Do you think that's a hint? The Bible says there shouldn't even be a hint. Most of us would say, yeah, but that's just normal. I like, I can't even drive down I-35 without passing a sign of some girl in a swimsuit or in her underwear or some guy with six-pack abs. Like, how am I supposed to get around this? This is just normal. Well, guess what else is normal? What's normal is pain. What's normal is regret. What's normal is guilt. What's normal is shame, insecurity, fear, lust, and divorce. All of these things are normal when it comes to sexuality in today's day. And, and why is it normal? Why is it normal? It's because we too often draw the line in the wrong place. We want to know how close we can get. And we say, look, I know that crossing this line is obviously wrong, but there are, I, I believe, an infinite number of other lines that we cross before we get to that other spot that are a better place for us to draw the line. It's much wiser uh, to, to draw that line rather than get, get right next up to it. But too often, we we fail to draw the line in the right place. We look for just the black and white. Um, I want to get practical with us this morning and just share some things uh, about where are some better places to draw the line. And you're going to probably see some of these and and hear some of these and think, well, that's just weird. Uh, Darn right, they're weird. Uh, Because normal is not working. Normal is not working. Can we all agree on that? Like, normal is not working. And so they are unapologetically weird because what society says is normal is not working. I read an article this past week that said 65% of men and 55% of women will commit adultery before the age of 40. 65% of men and 55% of women will commit adultery before the age of 40. That means somewhere in in about 80% of marriages will be affected by infidelity. 80% of marriages that is normal. I'd much rather be weird than normal. Why Why is that so normal? It's because society says every, everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is doing it. Why, why shouldn't I? And we find ourselves crossing all these little lines, and, and it comes to, well, um, you know, is it wrong for me to engage in a conversation one-on-one with someone of the opposite sex? Well, You know, the line for adultery is way over here, and so we're over here, so it's okay for us to have a conversation. It's okay for us to sit down and have a cup of coffee together. Is it wrong for me to to kind of share my personal feelings with this person of the opposite sex? Because the line for adultery is way over here, and and we're not anywhere near that. Is it wrong for me to, to look forward to spending time with this person and maybe even think about what I wear if I know that this other person's going to be at the party, well, well, of course not, because the line is way over here. Is it wrong for me to, to maybe share my personal feelings that you know I, I know I shouldn't be, but I am attracted to you? Well, the line for adultery is way over here. You're snaky. You're snaky, snaky. We've got to draw the line. We've got to be much wiser about where we draw the line. We have no moral margin. Uh, What I'm about to share with you, these are not, um, thus saith the Lord, these are, thus Chuck suggesteth. Um, These are just from my own personal experience and from people who are wiser than me, uh, some places where I feel like are better places for us to draw the line. And uh, so I just want us to, to quickly run through some of these. Number one, better places to draw the line is dress for spiritual success. Dress for spiritual success. And again, uh, this doesn't really affect the guys that much. Um, I don't know many guys that are too concerned about, you know, trying to be, draw attention to their bodies because, let's be honest, guys' bodies just aren't that impressive. Um, but ladies, um, man, are, are, you, are you seeking to please your Lord or are you seeking to draw attention to yourself by the way that you dress? Um, dress modestly. I've been in churches before where it, it has literally been a distraction um, for some ladies to be there because of the way that they are dressed um, so let 's dress for spiritual success uh, if you 're dating if you 're not married, keep four on the floor, four feet on the floor all right this is one you 're like that 's weird can 't we sit on the couch and cuddle and can 't we sit on the bed together and and do our bible study together and here 's what happens is you 're sitting on the couch and and you know her shaved legs rub, against, rub up against his hairy legs and uh, and then all of a sudden you know. Things start happening, right? It's, it's very tough when you, when you keep four feet on the floor, right? You keep four feet on the floor, you'll be good, right? You don't, find, you don't want to find yourself watching Netflix and, and cuddling together. No, that's not enough moral margin. You're not setting yourself up for success there. Um, next is, if you're not married, no sleepovers are playing house. No sleepovers are playing house, man. And I know this flies in the face of conventional wisdom today. Right? Everybody out there says, well, how will you know if you're going to be a good match if you don't live together first? Like, you've got to live together first. But but let me tell you, uh, Amanda and I did not live together before we got married. Um, We didn't, and it's worked out just fine. We're going on 13 years. My parents didn't live together before they got married. They're going on uh, almost 40 years. Um, Man, it's conventional wisdom versus godly wisdom. Uh, and, and I could tell you that it works. And, and it, it's hard because sometimes maybe you're watching that movie late at night and it gets to be late and, oh, well, don't go home. Just wear one of my T-shirts and we'll just cuddle, right? And cuddle turns to other stuff pretty quickly, right? Just put that distance between you uh, and, and the line. All right, this one's going to be a little weird. This one's admittedly very weird for those of you who are still dating. Um, no tonsil hockey, right? No tonsil hockey. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell kids, kids would always want to know, and, and when I worked with college ministry, they'd always want to know, well, well, can we kiss at all? And so I would always describe, my wife's going to be embarrassed by this, but I would describe three types of kisses, right? The first is peach. Everybody say peach. Peach, right? That's a little peck on the cheek, right? A little, you can, you know, it's like peach kiss, you're probably okay. The next one is plum. Everybody say plum, right? <laughs> You're getting, a little, you're getting a little bit further in, and then the last one is alfalfa, right? Uh, and that one is the one that you definitely want to avoid, but, but let me tell you, let me tell you, a man and I waited until we were, after we were married, um, to share in the gift of lovemaking. Uh, we were both virgins when we got married, that's something that we saved for one another, and uh, I, I'll be honest, we were never really tempted until uh, we started kissing, and you know, her Face was close to my face. Her body was close to mine. We kissed. And for the rest of the night, I could not keep that woman off of me. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little fuzzy on the details. But, uh, but all of a sudden, it just got harder. It got harder. Why not put that distance between you and sexual temptation? Again, these are not thus say the Lord. These are thus Chuck suggesteth. Um, next is to avoid dangerous places. Avoid dangerous places. Maybe for you that's going to the bars or the clubs or for some of you going on, on Facebook, uh, having Facebook Messenger or I don't know, does anybody still use chat rooms? Um, Snapchat, any of those things that may be a temptation for you. Uh, for some of you guys, it may be going to the gym, right? I used to have a gym membership and I could tell you Um, a lot of the ladies there are not there to to have a workout, right? They're there for another purpose. And so, guys, maybe you just need to invest in like P90X and get, you know, four-minute abs or whatever it is now and get your abs of steel at home. Uh, Maybe that's a better investment for you. Build in some more margin. Next is to monitor Internet activity. Monitor internet activity. And let me just say, when I was a kid, and, and I'm pretty young myself, but when I was a kid, if you wanted to view pornography, you had to like, go into the gas station, buy the magazine, hope that nobody saw you, and you know, walk out with the ma- like You had to go searching for this stuff. Um, now it is readily available, and if, if you're a parent of teenagers or preteens, man, let me tell you, um, your kids don't need to have a computer in their room. Like, there's no reason. Uh, when I work on my computer at home, um, I, don't, I don't, you know, lock myself in a room. I make sure I'm in a visible place. I make sure um, that, that I'm not even going to be tempted because, I mean, you can't even go on news sites and not be hit with, you know, some article about someone who's, who's got pictures that have been leaked or whatever and they want you to click on the article and it just comes up and it's right in front of your face. And there's nothing you can do, but monitor your internet activity. There, there are um, lots of things out there today to help with this. There's a company called Covenant Eyes. It's about $12 a month, and what you can do is you set this up, and you set up with an accountability partner where you can actually have everywhere that you've been on the internet over the last week or however often you want to send it, it last day or so, it'll email them all the places you've been, and if there's any red flags, they'll be able to contact you and say, hey, man, what are you doing? right? Um, There's another one. There's a free one called X3 Watch. You can check that one out. Um, And let me just say that pornography is, uh, I know it is widely talked about in our society as something that's not a big deal, but more and more and more psychologists are realizing the damaging effects that happens when people are looking at pornography. And it's not just men anymore, um, just as many women are as affected by internet pornography as men are today. And it start, it's starting at younger and younger ages because it's more and more available. Um, if you're interested in some of those studies on how it affects people psychologically, you, maybe you're one of those people that thinks, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'd encourage you, go to this website. It is not a Christian website. It's just a secular site, but it's called Fight the New Drug. Fight the New Drug and, and read some of the articles about um, what Exposure to pornography can cause in your own life and the damage that it can do. And the next one is this: avoid time alone with the wrong people. Avoid time alone with the wrong people. Now, normally I would have said um, avoid time alone with the opposite sex, but in today's world, uh, you know, not everyone is necessarily struggles with the opposite sex. For some of you, it may be the same sex, and we know that God's design for a sexual relationship is between one man and one woman within the covenant of a biblical marriage. Anything outside of that is uh, against God's will and would be considered sin. So avoid time alone uh, with the wrong people. Let me just say this. you know, As a pastor, there are times that I have to meet alone with someone, but we never actually meet alone. I never meet alone with a woman. I never ride alone in a car with a woman. Anytime I have a meeting with a woman, we usually meet at a coffee shop that's a very public place, and I usually try to have someone else there that I know um, that is maybe not at the same table, but they're at the other part of the coffee shop so that they can bear witness to, all right, absolutely nothing fishy or funny went on over here. Um, and that's just one of the barriers that I've built up in my life that— that. Uh, you know, I just want to have this margin for my own reputation and for the reputation of the other person involved. But I don't ride alone uh, with women in cars, and I just strive to never find myself alone with a woman who's not my wife. Um, do I have to do that? No. Um, but I just think that it's, it's very, very wise. And, and this is crazy. What's, what's crazy is that a lot of times companies today will send a man and a woman alone on a business trip overnight. Um, is that wrong? No. Is it wise? No. No. Man, if there's any way you can work your way out of that deal um, or find a way to bring your spouse along when you're in that situation, talk about building some moral margin. Um, Whatever you have to do, even if it comes out of your own pocket, I would say it would be worth it to have that moral margin built in there. Last one is this. Guard your eyes, mind, and heart. Guard your eyes, mind, and heart. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Now, this is one where it gets a little tricky because we're not just talking about um, the images. For men, we're very visual, and so it may be the images. Guys, being careful where you go on the internet, but ladies, a lot of times, it's the romantic novels, or I would even argue some of the romantic movies that we watch. Because ladies are wired a lot differently than men. Men, while they're visual, uh, women tend to be more emotionally connected to things, and so when you watch The Notebook, and Ryan Gosling is there, and it's raining, and his abs are showing through his shirt, and he's—you know—I don't even remember the movie, but you know, he's. Uh, what happens is, ladies start to start to think, "I wish my husband was more like this character," right? And then you find yourself fantasizing about this character. And you're, you're no longer satisfied with the husband that God has provided for you because he's not like this character. And so you start looking for someone else who's like this character. It's very easy. And unfortunately, that's, that's um, just kind of the way that things go. So I'd, I'd really encourage you ladies that read those romantic novels to be very, very careful about what, what you're putting in front of your eyes. Um, be careful about what you're watching on TV, it's amazing what kind of TV shows are out there. Some of the most popular TV shows, uh, how much uh, rated mature material is is in those shows, and uh, and we're exposing ourselves to that all the time. Be careful what you're looking at when it comes to magazines. Guys, if you're going to the mailbox and you think, oh, Victoria's Secret catalog, I'm just going to look through this and try to find something for my wife, right? Uh, no, that's not a very wise thing. You need to think through, would my wife be honored by this? Would, she, would this make her feel special if she knew that I was looking at this? Would she feel special, um, right? And a lot of times we try to rationalize that. So we want to guide our, our eyes, we want to guide, guard our mind. Um, a lot of times, I think one of the biggest struggles is perhaps um, dealing with the memories. Dealing with things, perhaps from our past, maybe we've made mistakes, or maybe we've uh, seen things that, that don't necessarily honor God, but those memories tend to come up over and over and over again. Uh, are you taking every thought captive and making it submissive to Christ? Job 31.1 one one. Uh, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. Um, are you willing to make that commitment? Are you willing to make that commitment? Um, let me just say that that all of these things that I've discussed here today, again, these are just suggestions about better places to draw the line so that we don't find ourselves walking right up to the ledge and slipping over the edge saying, I never thought it would happen to me. Um, I've never counseled someone that said, you know, it all started when I built moral margin into my life. Never counseled someone that said that. But I've counseled a lot of people who have said, I never thought it would happen to me. And, and I personally have sought to build all of these things into my life, not because I necessarily need them, but because I don't want to live without them. I don't want to live without them. I, I want my sons to see their dad not as perfect, but someone who is being perfected, who's pursuing righteousness and holiness and sexual purity before God. I want my daughters to see someone who honors their mother and loves her and, and doesn't view women as some object to be used, but, but someone who loves and honors and respects their mother, that someday they would seek out a man like their dad and not some kind of man that I don't want my daughters to be married to. I want my wife um, to know that she is respected and that she is honored by the things that I think about and the things that I look at. And most importantly, I want my God to be honored in the way that I live my life. I want my God to be honored, and, and I want to stand before him someday uh, and hear him say, well done. Well done. Well done. Uh, we've come to the end of the message this morning, and as we, as we take to... Uh, I just want you to think about where you are. Where you are, and and maybe you're at a point in life where this isn't even a struggle for you, but perhaps you know someone that is struggling with this. Um, I just want to encourage you, are there other areas of your life where perhaps God may be calling you to build moral margin? Maybe there's stuff on this list of suggestions that I've left off that you would say, man, I, I need to build this into my life. I want to make sure that my kids have every." every opportunity to succeed when it comes to their purity, to honor God, that that they draw the line way back away so that they don't accidentally cross that line someday, and you can help your children set those things up. Maybe you've crossed that line, and you just need to come before God right now and say, God, forgive me. I've messed up, but I'm going to seek your forgiveness. I'm going to seek you because I know that only through your son, Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven. Lord, help me to build moral margin into my life. Um, in your bulletin, you'll see the little spot where it says take two. I just want to encourage you to write down what is the next step that God is calling you to take this week because of what his word says, and what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Let's take two.